Welcome, my friends, to love, lights, and Hanukkah, our special Hanukkah series. This is our second episode, and as I just go live on the second platform on Facebook, I just want to say that our title, which, yes, <laughs> It is lifted from popular culture. Our title that begins with love refers to love to Hashem, not necessarily the way it's meant in popular culture. And uh, without a question, this is the Jewish festival of lights. It's a very bright celebration. And I think a real question that uh, any of us could ask What precisely are we celebrating during this holiday of Hanukkah? And it may come as a surprise to you, but the answer is not homogeneous. And within authentic Torah scholarship, there is somewhat of a divergence, as you will hear. So, let's go live on Facebook. Let's get this class underway. Please forgive me for my Tardy beginning. And we are live on all platforms. Hello, guys. And happy Hanukkah to you. I'm delighted that you are joining, and I think that you will find this particular class extremely eye-opening. We're really going to learn quite a few remarkable things, Be'ezrat Hashem. And I hope that this will be not only informative and educational, but in fact, inspiring as well. All right, we're getting there. We are getting there, as you can see. None of this is made up. Here are the sources, which I will share with you one at a time. So let's open with the Talmud. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat, on page 21b, this is the second chapter of Tractate Shabbat, Mesechat Shabbat, that's called Bameh Madlikin. It's a chapter of Talmud that speaks about, well, kindling. Not kindling the menorah at the outset. We talk about kindling Shabbat candles. And there's a very interesting question. Hopefully, it'll never be practical for us, but what would one do under extraordinarily extenuating circumstances, like I think Warsaw Ghetto, when you could only afford one? Shabbat candles or Hanukkah candles. We'll talk about that at a different time. Fascinating halacha and actually a tremendous lesson from that ruling. But the bottom line is that there is no tractate, no mesechet called Hanukkah. It's very different than the holiday called Purim, which has its own tractate called Megillah. 
Instead, the observances of the festival of Hanukkah are tucked into the folds of the second chapter of Masechet Shabbat that focuses at the outset on the kindling of Shabbat candles. Truth be told, the two lamps couldn't be different, more different. The Shabbat candles are lit so that we benefit from their light. The Hanukkah flames are not supposed to be used for anything personal at all. Because of this, there's an additional candle always burning. It's called a shamash. So one is for our pleasure in order to give us a sense of clarity, to create an ambiance. And one is all about an expression of the spirit. This is more in the image of the soul of a person is the lamp or candle of God. We'll learn more about the motif and the festive expression associated with the kindle of candlings. Bezrat Hashem, please God, in tomorrow's episode, episode three. But episode two is going to focus on the actual observance of Hanukkah. So what are we celebrating? Funny you should ask. The Talmud asks precisely this question. Says the Gemara, near the bottom of page 21, side B. My Hanukkah. What's Hanukkah? Now, lest you think that this is a query for some historical background, think again. Because the Gemara is not going to give us very much historical background at all. In fact, the Talmud goes on to say, the Tanur Abbanan, for our rabbis learned, and this is a reference to what is known as Megillah Tanit, and I'll talk about that in a moment. On the 25th day of Kislev, Yoimid Hanukkah, Tamnia. There are eight days that should be celebrated as the festival of lights of Hanukkah. And these days are Delayla Mispad Bahrain or Delayla Hisanisbem. There are days of festive observance. There's a, a, a joy or a happiness in a religious sense, associated with these days. And as such, although giving honor to those who have departed is a critical element of our Jewish observance and our respect for the dead, a eulogy is precisely that. Eulogies aren't delivered on days of religious joy. And fasting, I wouldn't say a foundational part of Judaism. Judaism does not emphasize or encourage excessive fasting or self-mortification. But nonetheless, fasting is certainly a part of Jewish observance from the very beginning. I mean, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, is a day observed by fasting. There are numerous formal fast days during the course of our Jewish calendar. And in antiquity, in the land of Israel, when it didn't rain and there was fear of drought or, God forbid, economic collapse, fasts were enacted. In fact, there is an entire tractate, which is called, you guessed it, Ta'anit. Speaking about the notion, do we have sound? Yes, we should have sound. Speaking about the notion, I want to make sure we have sound. One second. Yeah, we have sound. Okay, Baruch Speaking about the notion of fasting, when a fast might be ordained, and how the fast would be observed by the community. And yet, there are certain days upon which fasting is not appropriate. In fact, the origin of what we are reading now is something called Migilat Tanit, which means, and I quote, the scroll of fasting. It's, it's an ancient text. 
I, I guess by um, what we would call Western standards, it precedes all of what the West knows as its modern-day monotheisms, and it's uh, from times of the Talmud, times of the Mishnah. It's essentially a, a chronicle of different days. It enumerates a sum total of 35 eventful days on which we, the nation of Israel, or the Jewish people, experienced um, glorious, or witnessed glorious deeds of Hashem and experienced joyful events. And as such, these are days are celebrated as joyous days, yamim tovim, and as such, public expressions of mourning or sadness are proscribed. At least on 14 of these days, you're not allowed to have any public fasting. Hanukkah is one of those. Incidentally, Megillus Tanus was redacted by a sage who's known as Hananiah ben Chizkiah, and he was a Tana, a contemporary of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. So, yeah, I guess the word ancient could apply. And in Megillus Tainus it says that you have these eight days in which there is no fasting, in which we don't have any public displays of mourning. And the reason? Well, when the Assyrian Greek occupiers of the land of Israel entered the Holy Temple, they made a point of defiling all of the different kinds of oil they found. Now, we know that this was purposeful, not what you would call collateral damage. We know that because Rambam, and I talked about this yesterday, Rambam interprets the words of the Gemara and he says, giving us much more history, he says, they caused enormous damage. They wrought all kinds of havoc. And they made a point of defiling or desecrating that which was considered to be ritually pure. So this is not an accident. And then, when the Hasmonean house of royalty or house of rulership was able to overpower and to be victorious over them, they could only find one cruise of olive oil. One cruise that was still intact and you could see it was pure, undefiled. There was only one day to light. There was enough oil to burn for one day. They kindled the soil. Miraculously, it burned for eight days. So that's the response to the Gemara. The Gemara says, what's Hanukkah? And the answer is, at the time when there was an occupation of the land of Israel, when they entered the temple and they defiled the oils, there was a Malchut Beit Hashmonai, a house of royalty, a ruling class called Hasmonean. And, and they overpowered them and they were victorious. Who were these Hasmoneans? Where did they come from? What was their motivation? Where did the Assyrian Greeks come from? Why did they go and defile the oil? None of this history is conveyed to us in the words of the Talmud. Clearly, our Gemara is not asking, what is Hanukkah? The Gemara never asks, what is Purim? The Gemara simply says, the Megillah should be read on such and such a day. The Gemara never says, so why do we observe the Shabbat? 
The Gemara says, <laughs> when you observe Shabbat, you know you're not allowed to take from a private domain to a public domain, so you should know that when it comes to Yetzirah Shabbos, when it comes to things being transported from one domain to the other, it's two, but really it's four. That's how Masechet Shabbat begins. The Talmud never asks, so why do we celebrate a sukkah? In a sukkah, and what does the festival commemorate? And what is its motif? And what does its ideal? No, the Gemara doesn't ask any questions like that. The Gemara simply says a sukkah has to look like A, B, C, and D, X, Y, and Z. Because the Talmud is not the place for the history, for the philosophy, for the theology of the mitzvah. The Talmud is the place for practical observance. The Mishnah invariably will present us with a case and give us a ruling, and sometimes there'll be. A number of opinions. Case, ruling, case, ruling. That's the way the Mishnah is built. The Talmud analyzes the rulings of the Mishnah. And it speaks about a whole slew of possibilities which aren't clearly spelled out in the Mishnah, but via proper analysis and careful contrast, we're able to unfold or unfurl the Mishnah and appreciate a very, very wide application of its basic legal principles. So what is the Gemara asking when it says, my Hanukkah, and what is Hanukkah? Ah, so Rashi tells us, my Hanukkah, what's Hanukkah? Al eze nes kvauha. Which miracle? We know there were miracles. If you're reading the Talmud in Mesechet Shabbat, and you've got to page 21, we assume you have some Jewish background. You probably know the story. What you might not have clear is, so what was the motivating factor? What did the sages actually want to commemorate? Or what does our modern-day observance of Hanukkah celebrate? There were multiple miracles. Which miracle are we trying to observe for posterity? Which miracle are we trying to highlight? Perhaps by extension, the obvious question becomes, which saving act of God, which miracle, has an important lesson for us today, and for that matter, always has in every time and in every place? That's the question. And the answer in the Gemara clearly is that when the Bnei Hashmanoi who we learned all about in the previous episode, when those Kohanim, when those Hasmoneans actually overpowered the enemy, and when they came into the temple, and when they found just one cruise of olive oil that had been undefiled, only enough to light the menorah for a single day. When they lit that oil, and it burned miraculously for eight days until a fresh supply could be procured, ah, then, we make sure to observe this miracle. That's clear the way Rashi understands the Gemara. The Gemara finishes with a quote from Masechus Tainus by telling us this. Incidentally, Masechus Tainus is not something which is generally studied in today's day and age, and much of the information in Masechus Tainus is no longer relevant. It was something that was extremely important during the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. Many, many of those special days fell into disrepair and disuse. I should tell you that there was a dispute 
amongst the rabbis when the Beis Amigdash was destroyed if we should still be celebrating Hanukkah. And there was even a group of rabbis in a town called Lud who did go ahead and ordain a fast. The Sanhedrin wasn't pleased. They said, you have missed the point. You think we're celebrating Jewish self-determination? You think we're celebrating only the rededication of a Beit HaMikdash? which leads you to the conclusion that now we have no self-determination to speak of, and the Beis HaMikdash has been physically destroyed. But you're mistaken. That's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the eternity of Hashem's presence amongst us, symbolized in iconic fashion by the menorah that kept burning. So it's this kind of discussion that is critically important If we don't know why we're celebrating Hanukkah, then the question becomes, should we be celebrating Hanukkah? Incidentally, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua both went to Lud on the day that fast day was decreed, and each did something you don't do on a fast day, like going to the bathhouse, like getting a haircut, things which aren't done to make a very public statement when the head of Sanhedrin shows up in your town where you decreed a fast and does the exact opposite of what you just said to do, well, that's pretty clear, that you missed the mark. They did. Those rabbis were wrong. And the Sanhedrin guided us in the right direction. And Hanukkah, its joy, still fills our life today. And its flames still illuminate our reality. But this, then, is the question. Are we only commemorating The miracle of the oil? Do we not speak of the Maccabees or Hashmanoim? Do we not thank Hashem for the extraordinary, amazing feats, miraculous feats on the battlefield? The simple cursory read of the Gemara seems to tell us no. Alezanesk Kavua, on what miracle was it established? Hanukkah? On the menorah that didn't burn out. As we finish off by saying, the Gemara concludes, L'shona acheres, and so, in the next year, not that year, but the next year, for obvious reasons, it couldn't have been in that year, because nobody knew how long the menorah was going to burn for. The next year, looking back at the events that had transpired, Asom yamim tovim, the sages, the Sanhedrin, made it days of joy, behalel v'hoda'ah, in praise and thanksgiving. You're going to excuse me, I've got to blow my nose. I'll be back in just a moment, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I guess such as the wages of spending so many hours at these outdoor menorah lightings in frigid Ontario. Okay. 
So, let's move to the codes of Jewish law. That's a good place to go to next. Let me share with you the commentary of the Tur. The Tur, Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim, writes the forerunner of what we call today the Shulchan Aruch. I say he writes the forerunner because his halachic classic was built in a certain structure or system which was replicated by the Shulchan Aruch. So the same number of chapters, the same system was employed, and this is how we govern Jewish life today. So the Tur, in the laws of Hanukkah, opens chapter 670, Tafreshayin. And he opens the chapter with a verbatim quote of our Talmud, my Hanukkah. And he goes, the Tanya, we learned the Megillus Tainus, the Chofa Bikislev, and so on and so forth. And then he says, after the words, Kovum Ches Yomim Tovim Bahalal they established it as eight days of festivity, holiday, with singing and praises to Hashem. Pirush. At this point, the Torah begins to elucidate the words of the Talmud. He says, that means, Lomar Bahain Halal. We should recite in them Halal. Ula Hodot, and we should acknowledge Hashem's kindness. Al Hanisim Behoda'a Lomar to say in it, Al Hanisim, this is the Al Hanisim prayer that was formulated by our sages. It is permitted for us to do work. The truth is that the words of the Torah are almost verbatim from Rashi's commentary. Rashi's commentary says, What does it mean he made it into a holiday? Usually, for Jewish people, the holiday is one of the days we're not answering the telephones. We're not using our motor vehicles. You'll never see me streaming a class, God forbid, on a Yom Tif. But here we are right now. Ah, Rashi says, this is not to be understood or construed as Yamim Tovim with a Shabbat-like observance. Lo, Sha'asurim b'malacha. It doesn't mean that it's prohibited or proscribed from doing work. Shalo nikva'u, they were not established, Ella only. Likros halal. The Lomar Alanisim Baida, only for the recitation, the chanting of Halal during our morning prayers, and the inclusion of the Alhanisim prayer in the Amidah in our prayers thrice daily. So it's pretty clear. Rashi headlines this approach, which seems to be adopted by the Tur and ultimately the Shochan Aruch. The meaning of holiday is a time to acknowledge Hashem's praises, to express our thanksgiving. In the Torah, he then goes on to quote a ruling from Rabbeinu Meir of Rottenburg, who happens to be his grandfather. Rabbeinu Yaakov Balaturim is the son of Rabbeinu Asher, of the Rosh. And the Rosh is a son-in-law of, sorry about that noise, 
a son-in-law of Rabbeinu Meir Mirottenberg. So Rabbeinu Meir Mirottenberg said, that the festivities that are so common amongst many of our people, you know, Hanukkah parties. Shulchan Aruch says, Those are elective, not mandatory. Because these days were established for prayerful acknowledgement of God's kindness. Thanksgiving, if you will. Not for a feast. Not feasting. Not joyous meals. Well, it's pretty clear. The Hanukkah parties, nothing to do with these observances. Hanukkah parties then would by definition be what you would call an anomaly. The words mishte v'simcha indicate parties. The words halal v'hodah indicate prayerful awareness or spiritual joy. So the question then would be, is Hanukkah party to spiritual joy or are we supposed to celebrate in the spirit with a party? based on the approach advanced by Rashi, especially as is sharply defined by the tour quoting Rabbeinu Meir of Rottenberg, we're party to spiritual joy in Thanksgiving. It's not supposed to be observed in the spirit of a party. Why? Well, our sages said it very clearly. Halal v'hoda'ah, not mishte. Prayers, thanksgiving, not feasting and merrymaking. The interesting thing is that whilst we emphasize the concept of not mishte v'simcha, once we emphasize the idea of halal v'hodor, because the Talmud says they were established not for anything but halva when we take a look in the codes of Rambam, Maimonides, a very different picture suddenly emerges. The Rambam that I mentioned in yesterday's episode, and I will review quickly for you today, opens the halachas of Hanukkah with historical background. And I must tell you, this is very unique because the Rambam does not give us the history of Passover. He just talks about how we observe Pesach. The Rambam does not give us the history or even the philosophical underpinnings of Sukkot. He just says, that's a day you observe. He doesn't tell us about why we observe Shabbat because God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. He tells us how to observe this holy day doesn't talk to us about the events of Rosh Hashanah and certainly not Shavuot. And the interesting thing is that the anomaly of Maimonides, Rambam giving us background before he talks about halacha, isn't actually found in the Talmud. The Talmud doesn't give us background for 
any of the holidays, including Hanukkah, as we just read and studied together. The Talmud is querying what was the underlying cause for Hanukkah, but not giving us the history. Maimonides, quite surprisingly, chooses to give us historical background. He opens with the words, Babayacheni. It was the era of the second home, a euphemistic reference to the second temple, the Beit HaMikdash. Kishemol Chuyovan, during the period when the Assyrian Greeks held sway, the Babylonian Empire had collapsed, the Persian or Median Empire had replaced it, and eventually, as we talked about yesterday, Alexander the Great rises out of Macedonia, conquers all of the Greek provinces, and then, as monarch of a united Greek, goes on to conquer the world and build the most remarkable empire ever built before. So during this period, when we were under the sway of the Assyrian Greeks, Gozru Gezerot al Yisrael, they leveled many decrees against Israel. Bitlu Datam, they sought to nullify their faith. And I must tell you that this is unique. Never before in history did an enemy seek specifically to undermine our faith. It's happened many times since. But this was the first time in history such an event unfolded. They wouldn't allow them to study Torah and mitzvahs. And quite differently than the various other anti-Semites of history, they didn't seek to stamp out the physical and material existence of a Jewish nation. They sought to secularize the Jewish nation. They didn't want to eject the people from the land of Israel. They were perfectly okay with Jewish people continuing to live in the land as long as it would be a land like any other. As long as its religion could not only be separated from its governance, but in fact, as long as its religion could be suffocated and done away with. That was their primary focus. They also stretched their hands forth, which is again a euphemism, stealing both their property as well as their daughters. But as we learned yesterday in the Medrash Hanukkah, all of this was designed to break the spirit and the morale of the people so that they would be crushed, so that Judaism could be extinguished. And that's what leads them to go into the Beit HaMikdash, which is the spiritual ground zero for the Jewish people, that's the iconic place that unites us as a nation and represents God's presence amongst us. Portsu by process, they wrought havoc there. And they made a point of defiling that which is ritually pure. They didn't mix sediment or toxins into the oil. This is not a dirt or contaminant that you could see with your eye or smell. You can't taste it. It's in the realm of faith. It's by religious ordination, and religious ordination only. They gave them terrible, terrible, trying and tribulating, difficult times. They put them under enormous pressure. It was a bad time in our history. But in the end, 
Richam Aleim Elikevisim, the God of their fa- uh, God of our ancestors, brought them salvation. We were saved from the hands of the enemy. The Govru Bnei Chashmanoi Hakoyin Magdalim. The Rambam now adds to the words of the Gemara. He calls them the great Kohanim, and he says these great Kohanim led the rebellion. Baharogum, Yisrael Miodam. They killed the enemy, and they saved the nation of Israel from their hands. Rambam tells us they established a Kohen king, the Chazam Malchus Yisrael, and the Jewish people did have sovereignty. Rambam talks about 200 years, but about 100 years of it was actually real, clear sovereignty. We weren't a vassal state at all. Here, the Rambam's narrative picks up where the Gemara's narrative opens. And when the Jewish people were victorious, and I'm paraphrasing and skipping half a few sentences, and they went into the Heichal, they only found enough Shem and Tahor to burn for one day Bovad. So what did they do? The answer is, they lit the menorah. And it burned for eight days until they could bring a fresh supply of oil. And then the Rambam says, Because of all this, the sages of that generation came to the conclusion that they must ordain these eight days, which begin on the 25th day of Kislev, as you may simcha v'halel. The Rambam, Maimonides, doesn't use the language that we find in the Gemara, halel alone. Instead, he says, you may simcha v'halel. Now, Rashi doesn't mention the word simcha at all. He just says, These days were established only. Ela means only. Only for what? Only to read the halal. Nothing else. In the Torah we read that the point is to thank Hashem, but it's permitted to do work. And then he says, Quoting Marami Rottenberg, that the Riboy Sauda, that all the famous Hanukkah parties are pointless. They may have a party, but there's no mandate whatsoever. Because, and here the tour quoting Marami Rottenberg, is using the verbiage, the syntax of Rashi, and then the Torah adds these two words, perhaps quoting the Maram of Rottenberg, or perhaps not, and he says, not feasting, not revelry, not happiness, festive rejoicing. But the Rambam is very clear. The Rambam says, these days were established as you may simcha. Not only not simcha, but he puts simcha before halal. Oh, this is a difference, my friends. Something's cooking here. There seem to be two divergent paths emerging before us. 
where Rashi and the Shulchan Aruch are going in the direction of only Halal and Hodah, only Thanksgiving, only prayers. That's what this is about. But Rambam is going in the direction of he reads the Gemara very differently. He understands from the words of the Gemara that it's Yimei Simcha and Halal. What would the Rambam say about a party? What would he say about these Hanukkah get-togethers? Would he say, eh, not mandated, not sacred, not religiously required? Or would he say, oh yeah, What really is the meaning of Yemei Simcha? How do you animate or activate Yemei Simcha? Listening to a comedy show? I'm joking. Pun intended. Like the Rambam says, our sages ordained it to be Yemei Simcha. What does a Yom Simcha look like? It would seem a Yom Simcha is a day in which there is mandated feasting. The Maharshal, a great post-medieval sage, in his commentary on Mesechet Bavakama, speaks about the concept of what we call today a Seudat Mitzvah. Excuse me. Please forgive me. Maharshal, on the seventh chapter of Mishachet Bavakama, Maharshal says the following. First of all, he says, Seuda Sha'adam Ose, a party, a meal that a person might make. Shalaikaderech Mereyut Vesimcha, not to celebrate a bar mitzvah. Not because we have a wedding. Those are just social events. Those are events we call friends together. But he says, incidentally, there are also Sudas Mitzvah. <laughs> Real Sudas Mereus is not any of the above. That's to be sure, to be accurate. You know, a party. You just invite people over. The kind of thing you don't do when you're in mourning, for example. So what is the reason of these su'udah, of a su'udat mitzvah, he says. The su'udat mitzvah is a meal or a feast which is ordained kedelitin shevach lamokim, to give praise to Almighty God, which of course is why a bar mitzvah and a wedding are a su'udat mitzvah. It's not just mundane, ordinary family get-togethers. Or lefarsim ha-mitzvah, or because we want to publicize the performance of a mitzvah, like a pidyon ha-ben, the redeeming of the firstborn son that has a meal that goes along with it. Or lefarsim ha-nes, or to publicize a miracle. Says Maharshal, these kinds of meals, karoi seudas mitzvah. Those are a seudas mitzvah. Skipping a couple of lines, the Maharshal, now addresses 
the holiday of Hanukkah. He said, how about those parties that people make in the days of Hanukkah? Are they just parties? Or are they mitzvah-oriented? Do they have an element of religious fervor? Is there a, a syntax, perhaps, of devotion to Hashem here, which would elevate, rarefy, and sanctify that very get-together? So the Marshal says, Nira, it seems to me, Shehem su'udot mitzvah. That those are mitzvah-mandated parties. And not like the words of Rabbeinu Meir, who we quoted earlier, he said, it's parties, you can make parties if you want. Don't blame it on Hanukkah. It's not mandated. Because Rabbeinu Meir believed that Hanukkah was that these days were established for the purpose of singing, praising. Spiritual thanksgiving. The lola mishta said the Torah. Not for rejoicing, not for festive celebrations. Maharshal says, I don't agree with that. Ella, I follow the school of thought advanced by the Rambam, who says that they are Yemei Simcha Vahalel. So the Maharshal understands from Rambam, from Maimonides, that the day of Hanukkah was ordained by our sages, these eight-day festival, as days of rejoicing and festivity. And that includes a celebratory meal. The Yemei Mishta Simcha, Nami, Nikbu, and they were established also as days of festive rejoicing, like it says in Megillah Tainet. Megillah Tainet says, Because the Beit HaMikdash had been spiritually destroyed and fallen into spiritual disrepair, the altar had been defiled. All the things that were sacred and pure had been defiled. Do you know that the Jewish people had to literally take apart the altar and build a new altar because it had been defiled? It could no longer be used? This was the spiritual destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. God's holy house was turned into a house of idolatry. Just by means of illustration, suppose a Beit Knesset, a synagogue, a Beit Medrash, a house of study, would be turned into a, a house of ill repute. Or a house of, uh, you know, shows like they have in Vegas or worse. I mean, would you call that a desecration? If the stage upon which the Ark and the Torah are, are now used for displays of immodesty and licentiousness, for, educate, for ed ed entertainment purposes, would you call that a desecration? That's what happened. The equivalent that happened in the Beit HaMikdash. And so it had to be, re be purified or rededicated. And the rededication of the Beit HaMikdash, according to the Megillus Tainus, was like... It's almost like re rebuilding the base of Mikdash. And therefore, festivities were associated with it. Seems that's why some of the rabbis thought that now that the base of Mikdash had been destroyed, the holiday of Hanukkah would no longer apply. But the Talmud doesn't say this. 
Maharshal maintains in the Talmud, it does intimate the idea of Mishteva Simcha. It does. We just read the Gemara together ourselves. It doesn't say anything about Mishteva Simcha. It says, Yamim Tovim, for Halel V'hodah. So the Maharshal says, Umid Amar Yom Tov, because the Talmud inserted the word Yom Tov. Veloika Amar doesn't just say, Kavu Shmonas Yomim Lahalel Ulahodot. It doesn't say that these days were set aside for the purpose of singing Hashem's praises. If the meaning of Yom Tov is only singing Hashem's praises, why did you have to call it a Yom Tov? As you can see from Rashi, the very fact that it was called Yom Tov is almost a cause for confusion. Oh, it's a Yom Tov? Oh, I think I know what a Yom Tov is. A Yom Tov means a day we can't do work. No, says Rashi. That's not why it's called a Yom Tov. It is only a Yom Tov insofar as these are days for spiritual expressions of thanksgiving. Well, if so, says Marshal, why call it a Yom Tov altogether? Why create this obfuscation? Why make it seem like it's a Yom Tov, as we know a Yom Tov? You know that ridiculous joke that you must have heard 50 times already? The definition of a Jewish holiday? They tried to kill us, God saved us, now let's eat. And people think about that when they, when they talk about Hanukkah too. And on Purim, which is a rabbinical Yom Tov, which is not prohibited to work. And yet, it is a day of feasting. Now the truth is that Purim has Yom Tov elements that Hanukkah actually does not have. But that's for another class. The truth is one is not supposed to go to work on Purim. And there's no such prohibition on Hanukkah. At any rate, what is clear is that the Talmud does indicate more than Halal V'hodah. And according to the Maharshal, that is at least an intimation. And it certainly doesn't rule out the Rambam's approach. Va'af Rashi Pirush. Marshal says, Rashi himself says, Lo sha'asrum b'malacha. Not a yomtiv in which you can't work. Ela la'al Ah, in other words, Rashi rules out this idea that work should be prohibited. But he doesn't say, not for feasting and merriment. He doesn't say, no parties. Just going to Shul and Davening joyously. Rashi doesn't say that. The Torah says that. The Torah says, Halal v'lahodos v'lo mishte Rashi never said that. Rashi said, no prohibition on work. So the Mahashal maintains that from this, Maimonides believed that it was clear that there was not only a reason for songs, thanksgiving, spiritual devotion, but actually a, a holiday in which there is a festive and a joyous observance as well. But where did the Rambam get that from? I mean, it's true that Rashi doesn't rule it out. At the same time, Rashi doesn't say it either. The Gemara doesn't say it. Perhaps there's like an intimation. It says Yom Tov. But the fact remains that the term Simcha 
doesn't show up in the Talmud. Where did the Rambam get this from? The Rebbe maintains that ultimately this Rambam is actually an indication of a tradition that perhaps we may have lost. Perhaps there's documentation that we no longer have that Rambam had. And that's good enough for us if the Rambam says it. But there is what seems to be a glaring omission. There seems to be a piece missing from the puzzle. The Rebbe says, consider this. There's a sefer called Sha'are Ora, or Gates of Light. It's authored by the second Rebbe of the Chabad dynasty, the Mitla Rebbe. And on page 22 of what he calls Sha'ar HaChanukah, the Hanukkah Gates, he says, it must be understood. This business of kindling menorahs in the image of the Beis HaMikdash Candelabra Recalling the miracle of the oil, he says, something is missing here. Is it not, is it not strange? Does it not beg for explanation? That the primary miracle focused on is a little cruise of oil that didn't get defiled? By any measure of logic, the real miracles were on the battlefield. As we say in the Al Hanisim prayer, and the Al Hanisim prayer was ordained by our sages, the very sages who instituted Hanukkah. Rabbim biadmiyatim, many in the hands of few, that's a miracle. What if the many were also mighty and the few were also meek? That would make it a bigger miracle. That's precisely what happened. Giborim biad chaloshim. Very strong soldiers in the hands of puny, weak fighters. Then you could include and incorporate the miracle. And not only we were victorious on the battlefield, and not only a tiny band of religious, righteous, pious Jews were able to rout this enormous armada of armies that occupied the land of Israel and came with baleful intent. Not only that, we even could find a little bit of pure oil and were able to light a, a, a menorah and so on and so forth. He says, when you have 200, a hundreds included in it. And yet, we focus entirely on this business of the jug of oil that was found. The Mitla Rebbe says something interesting. He follows the Shita, the approach of the Me'iri. Rambam says that the battles ended on the 25th day of Kislev. Me'iri disputes this. He says, no, the battles ended on the 24th day. On the 25th day, they found the oil. And as the Rebbe points out in a footnote in one of his sikhs, it's pretty clear that the Mittel Rebbe follows the rule or school of thought of the Alter Rebbe following the Me'iri. Because the Mittel Rebbe says here, and this is also talked about in Lakota Torah, that the victory 
was on the 24th. That's when you should have commemorated the victory of the battle. You know, the, all was quiet on the Western Front on Chavdalat Kislev. That was the great miracle. And yet, the Yom Tov of Hanukkah starts on the 25th. Why? Because of the miracle that they found the oil. That itself was a miracle. Mithlebis says, what's going on over here? How did something, which is at best an ancillary point, something, an add-on, how did that become the primary? Ah, so the Mithla Rebbe says, from here we can see that the real miracle is the restoration of our righteous faith. The real miracle is that Yiddishkeit, that spirituality prevailed. And the oil that continued to shed its light, oil that was untainted, undefiled spiritually, that made the point, that became the iconic expression of what you were fighting for. They weren't fighting for cultural independence. They weren't fighting for self-determination. They weren't fighting to be a nation amongst the nations. They were fighting for the right to be able to express themselves as members of Am Yisrael. They were fighting to keep the flame of Yiddishkeit alive. They were fighting to keep the light of Torah and mitzvahs burning brightly. That's what the fight was about. And as such, it's that little jug of oil that becomes symbolic of the struggle. The thing is that whilst our sages zeroed in on a little menorah, on a tiny jug of oil, and saw within this the illustration of the true motif of this festival, I mean, there still are many miracles. You can't ignore that. <laughs> the same sages that ordained that we should light a menorah, the same sages spoke of the miracles on the battlefield. And here we don't seem to be mentioning or talking about it at all. Do you know that in the Megillus Tainus, it says that when you light the menorah, you have to say something called Hanero Talalu. And in Hanero Talalu, which again is ordained by our sages as the accompanying hymn to the kindling of the Hanukkah menorah, over there it says, Allah choice, Ve'al Hanisim, God's saving acts, the miracles, the wonders. Asher asita la'avotenu. Finding a jug of oil is not true as nisim v'neflois. That's not a salvation. It's not a major miracle and wonders, plural, that happened to our ancestors. It's one detail. Understand, it's an important detail. It's an emblematic detail. It essentially becomes the face of Hanukkah. It is what broadcasts its true message. But at the same time, our sages in Megillus Tainus told us that when you go ahead and light the menorah, this is what you need to be saying. Well, if this is what you need to be saying, then the kindling of the menorah does not only commemorate a Beit HaMikdash menorah that miraculously burnt for eight days, but as we say, Nisim 
Jewishness of Inifloys, the miracles on the battlefield. And because this question is so overwhelmingly obvious, and because, as the Rebbe points out, in all likelihood, the Rambam may have had other Midrashic sources, sources of our sages that we don't have today, the Rambam then believed that when we say, my Chanukah, al the way it should properly be understood is slightly different. Rashi reads the words, my Chanukah, and says, so which miracle did they commemorate? And according to Rashi's view, which seems to be the view of the Torah and Marami Rottenberg, we view only the miracle of the pure olive oil, of the menorah they kept burning. The Rebbe suggests in Lakutasichas, volume 10 on Hanukkah, and he says the Rambam would hold that the meaning of the Gemara's question, my Hanukkah, is not as Rashi said it, Aleizanes Kavua, but rather, so why was Hanukkah ordained to be a thanksgiving, a spiritual thanksgiving? In other words, I know. Even without the miracle of the oil, this was such a miracle we would have had to establish it as a festival, even if the menorah wouldn't have burnt. Forgive me, i got to get a tissue. Oi, I'm sorry. You know, here's something interesting. I didn't see the Rebbe mention it, but one of the great Rishonim called the Ri, Rabbi Yaakov Milunil, he says, and I quote, Af lule nes pach hashemen, even without the miracle of the oil, Hayu asin yamtov shmona yamim anes nitzachen amochamah. The Rimelunil, going back about 500 years, medieval times, Rishon. He says, without the miracle of the oil, this still would have been a festival called Hanukkah. And he says it would have been like a biblical festival. What's a biblical festival? Eight days. Like Sukkot, the Shemini Why? The Re Milunil maintains, that the circumstances of the deliverance we experienced on Hanukkah, according to Rabbeinu Yaakov of Lunil, were so unique that they remained unparalleled in Jewish history. And because this is the case, 
it would have been a festival of thanksgiving to Hashem, like any other Yom Tov. But because the Rimul Anil says there was also a miracle with a jug of oil, and because they also kindled a menorah which miraculously burned for eight days, our sages added to the festivities and rejoicing the Hadlokat Nerot Hanukkah, the kindling of Hanukkah lamps as well. Now, what the Rimul Anil says is really not it would seem in keeping with the Gemara. But it's interesting. Here's one of the Rishonim who says this. The Rebbe maintains that the Rambam's opinion would be that there was cause for celebration without a menorah as well. And when the Gemara comes along and says, My Hanukkah, and the Gemara answers there was a cruise of oil, that's with regard to the detail of halal v'hoda, which we don't find, for example, on Purim. We don't say halal on Purim. This is the reason. That's why they made it a spiritual halal v'hoda kind of expression. Because the flames represent the spirit. After all, King Solomon, in his prophetic wisdom, observed... Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. So for us, the candle, the flame, is something that evokes imagery that's profoundly spiritual. It's how we represent the soul. And that's because of the miracle that happened with the menorah and its miraculously burning flames. In other words, like this, the Rebbe says, when the Rambam tells us in Halacha Gimel, because of all this, our sages ordained, that these eight days should be distinct, separate, and apart with joy and festivity, is because the Rambam is not simply speaking only about the menorah. He's speaking, he says, Mipnei, because of everything that he spoke, speaks about in Halacha Aleph and Halacha Beis. That when we were living in the land of Israel, and we had the Beit HaMikdash, the second one, and there was oppression from the Greek or Assyrian Greek occupation, and they leveled decrees to try to nullify and strangle the Jewish faith, because they tried to suffocate our spirituality, they went so far not only as to prevent us from studying Torah and observing mitzvahs, something that heretofore had never been attempted in the story of Purim. They wanted to kill us as a nation. I was once doing a television show, and it was about Hanukkah. And I was sitting with a professor from the University of Toronto. His name is David Novak. And we were talking about Hanukkah and Purim. I think, this is many years ago. And he became very excited and animated. And he said, this is the difference between Stalin and Hitler, he said. He said, Hitler, Yamach Shemo, wanted to destroy the vestige of the Jewish people. There should be no existence of a nation called Israel. He, he looked for people who weren't even halachically Jewish. But Stalin sought to stamp out the soul of Judaism. And he became very excited. And he said to me, you know, the Hasidim who resisted the Hasidim who continue to study Torah performances, they are the modern-day Maccabees. He said, 
you know about this? I said, yeah. How do you know, he says. I said, because both of my father's grandfathers were part of that resistance and both paid with their life. But he's right. Stalin Yemachshemo aimed his weapon at the soul of Judaism. He supposedly didn't care about a nation of Israel. He wanted to destroy a Torah of Israel. After all, in 1948, communist Russia, the Soviet Union, Stalin voted for the establishment of a Jewish secular state. Now, many would argue that that was a miraculous thing altogether, but it remains a fact that as long as the Jewish people could be divorced from their spiritual affiliation with God, he didn't have a problem with it. But Hitler, wanted to destroy the Jewish people themselves. What the Rebbe is suggesting here is that in Rashi's view, which is the view of the majority of Poskim, the Rif and the Rosh, and ultimately not the Rambam, but the majority of Poskim follows the approach that the festivities of Hanukkah commemorate and celebrate the miracle of the oil, the saving of our souls. As I mentioned yesterday, the Rebbe speaking to the group of school children in 1979 tells them that the message of Hanukkah is that when a person says to Hashem, I am going to maintain my holiness and my spirituality, I will not compromise, this is something I'm prepared to fight for, I will sacrifice everything that Hashem gives us the koyach and the flames keep burning. According to Rambam, there really is a confluence of two major causes here. Like Rilu Nil said, maybe the greatest miracles in Jewish history. And they tried it 200 years later. It was a dismal failure. Rome wasn't more powerful than Greece in antiquity. But the Judean revolt was a terrible failure. And the Maccabean revolt ultimately caused the disintegration, or at least planted the seeds for the collapse of the Greek Empire. The greatest miracles. Rededication of the Beis HaMikdash. Had the Beis HaMikdash been destroyed 200 years earlier, who knows what the future would have looked like. And as such, the Beis HaMikdash's continued presence amongst us and that which allowed for the development of Sanhedrin, Mishnah and as we know it, ultimately becomes the source of our Judaism today. Whereas the miracle of the menorah represents not the military victory or the victories on the battlefield, but rather the miraculous nod from on high that Hashem would allow our spirit to continue to burn brightly. And because there are two different events going on here, the Rambam understood that the Gemara would tell us, my Hanukkah, why was it focused on Halal V'Hidah? And the answer is, because of Pach Hashemin, because of the oil. However, 
There's another part of this narrative. Mipneze means two reasons. From Rambam's perspective, there's a confluence of two major things being celebrated on the festival of Hanukkah. And as such, we should have Yemei Simcha, feasting, and we should have days of Halavahidah, of prayerful thanksgiving. Both are true. Incidentally, Minag Yisrael is that we do have Hanukkah meals. Perhaps not halachically mandated as we do on the festival of Purim, but we are supposed to get together as a family. In Hayom Yom it says, the Rebbes would all get together, bring their families together for what they called a latkes ovent, an evening in which we celebrated food, food that embodied the oil, you know, the potatoes, which are not ancient. <laughs> they only came to Europe in the 18th century. But they were cheap and easily, readily available during the winter. Whereas you, you couldn't find any spinach. Uh, certainly not in Poland and Russia during the winter. Potatoes and onions, you got plenty of. Potato latkes. In the Iberian lands, it wasn't the focus on potatoes. It was a focus on flour. Different temperament, different weather. Sufganiyot, or Yiddish panchikas. The point is, a food which embodied both the miracle of the oil, but would also serve as a festive expression for what we commemorate on Hanukkah. And so in closing, we actually have dual festivity. Now the truth is that this idea of the distinction between Purim and Hanukkah is found in, in, different, in a very different kind of syntax in the language of the Lavush. The Lavush wrote codes using the same system as the Tur, but his work did not reach the level of, let's call it, foundational of importance like the Shulchan Aruch, but it's still a very important book of halacha. So the Lavush says in Simon Tofre Shayan in chapter 670, because at the time of Hanukkah, the Jewish people were not given over in the hands of a dominating force, an occupying force. Who sought genocide against them, the way it was in the days of Haman. The enemy came for war, but they didn't want anything but subjugation. They did come to take prisoners. They didn't want to destroy the Jewish people. They want to destroy Jewish peoplehood because Jewish peoplehood is linked to spirituality. A secular Jewish people is a great anomaly, an oxymoron. That's what they wanted. They wanted to get them to abandon their faith and religion. As is known from the story of Antiochus. And he goes on and speaks about the details over here. And therefore, he says, if the Jewish people would only have bowed their heads in submission to his spiritual demands, if they would only have committed themselves to become pagan idolaters and start to worship a pantheon of gods and abandon the monotheism, that would be fine. 
was there, aided and assisted us. We did overcome enemies. That's why it was only So according to the Levush, we have a big distinction between Purim and between Hanukkah because the goal of Antiochus was to stamp out Judaism, not the Jewish people. Which would perhaps explain to you the approach of Rashi, of my Hanukkah, al-Eza Nes Kavua, what miracle was focused on. But the Rebbe points out that the Rambam doesn't disagree with this. The Rambam told us very, very clearly when he starts to speak about what happened in the time of Antiochus, he says, They tried to destroy their religion. They wouldn't allow them to study Torah to perform mitzvahs. And then he talks about the theft, the robbery, the rape, the horrid situations. And eventually going in, which was all part and parcel of their battle against the soul of Judaism. That's why they went into the base of Migdash and they sought the oil to defile it. So according to Rambam, there's no question that the physical battle was motivated by a desire to destroy the spirit, the holiness, the religion of the Jewish people. But that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate the military victory. The fact that they had an other intention doesn't change the reality that they did attack us. And they did try to dominate and subjugate us. And we did experience incredible miracles and salvation. So if we're not commemorating the miracles of the salvation on the battlefield at all, how do you explain the al And how do you explain the Hanedas Halalu? Rambam says, we are commemorating those things. Halal v'hidah thanks Hashem for the miracle of the oil, which is emblematic of the essence of what the Battle of Hanukkah was about. But at the same time, the Hanukkah parties we have, thank Hashem for the incredible deliverance we as a nation experienced at that time in these very days. So there you have it. Two divergent paths, both authentic, both Torah true. Eilu ve'elu divre lekim chayim, as our rabbis would say, all are the words of the living God. And practically? Well, because we're in doubt, and because most of the major codifiers do not seem to follow the school of thought of the Rambah, we do have parties. But we make sure that these parties aren't just parties. Words of Torah must be spoken. Songs of praise to Hashem must be sung. And in doing so, without any doubt, we are commemorating the many miracles, thanking Hashem for His salvation and expressing our faith that Netzach Yisrael lo yeshaker, the eternity of the Jewish people shall never be put to lie. That Am Yisrael, not as a secular nation, amongst the nations. Am Yisrael, as the Or Lagoyim, as the light unto the nations, the light of Torah, the light of mitzvot, the light of religious fervor and spirituality, the light of connectivity to our Creator, will continue to shine brightly despite the darkness that may at times engulf us. And with Hashem's help, 
out of this darkness will come to the greatest of lights and the restoration of the original menorah, the transformation of our world from a place of darkness or concealment of Hashem's presence to the place of the light of Mashiach in which the entire world bathed in its glow will march on a common road, will dance along in the same steps leading towards the Beis HaMikdash HaShlishi Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you found that uplifting, educational, inspiring. If you did, please take a moment, hit like, share, and if you can or haven't yet, please subscribe, youtube.com forward slash Rabbi Mendel Kaplan. Have an amazing day and a happy Hanukkah to you all.